This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. Bringing you a common sense and fresh perspective to creating a just society. This is Common Sense on Social Justice. You'll get equipped with the tools you need to carry out social justice right where you are. Now, here's the host of Common Sense on Social Justice, Michael Davis. And welcome back. Thank you so much again for joining us. I'm so glad you're here. I love getting your comments. Pay attention to the email address at the end of this podcast today. I love hearing from you. I do get quite a bit of feedback. And I love how people uh, are challenged and encouraged and inspired and are actually working to create a just society where they are. And I love the challenging questions and comments that listeners give me as well. It causes me to think. Or it helps us just enter a good discussion and figure out the truth together. Well, today we're in part six of Rerum Novarum, the encyclical by Pope Leo XIII that came out in 1891. Coming to the end of a journey can be difficult. Today we come to the end of our study on this encyclical, and hopefully you've learned many lessons that you can put into practice. I love the grand finale at a fireworks display. I love seeing and watching fireworks, and I really don't mind my neighbors shooting them off till late in the night on 4th of July or New Year's Eve. It's kind of fun. But I love going to a big fireworks display and seeing that grand finale. And today, uh, as Pope Leo XIII concludes this encyclical, he does so with the spirit of a grand finale. Two things we will look at today is, first of all, the necessity of Catholic workers associations and how they should operate. And then we will look at the conclusion of this encyclical, which sums it all up. But we'll be looking at paragraphs 53 and following. And the main points that the Pope brings out, first of all, is that there is much historical evidence that associations established in the church are effective. Now he doesn't name any of them, but he just makes that statement that many have proven to be effective. And I've noticed that as well in my, my uh, experience over the years, when you take the Catholic faith, which is rooted in justice and rooted in the gospels, and then you take that and bring it down to the ground level where the rubber meets the road into justice for workers, it can create something beautiful if it's done so by the right people. And we'll get into that point momentarily. The second point he makes is that these associations are answerable. Notice this, these associations are answerable to the church alone and not to the state. The state should stay out of it. Once again, have you noticed that Pope Leo XIII is not a huge fan of the government? He says the state gets involved through taxes on these associations, through codes and ordinances, all of which stifle the mission of the association. So, for example, you've got zoning laws 
that prevent a charity from successfully doing its work. You've got, uh, you know, organized homeless villages. I remember attempting to establish one, had it running for a while. Great things were happening. Well, the state ruined a good thing out of its own desire for power. I say, let the church with King Jesus be above Caesar and let the church decide what is good and right in that given situation for these associations that help workers. The third point he makes is that these associations are perfect in their objects. Now, he doesn't say that they're perfect and they're working out, they're daily working out, because wherever humans are involved, there's uh, bound to be exciting developments <laughs> that stresses us out. But these associations, he says, are perfect in their objects. So if we just keep the mission in front of us and keep striving for that mission, we got this. Now, if these associations are recognized by the church, they're especially perfect in their objects because the church is very discerning, trying to figure out what is best and which associations it will promote. Now, there's a third point he makes is that these, uh, or fourth point rather, is that in our time, the state has taken charge of these associations. So he laments this reality that the state has taken charge of the various historical associations that have existed for workers. And the church has a right, he says, to complain about this being unjust. So you've got, and I'm not going to name any, but you do have workers associations and various charities that existed and did very good work for a long time, sanctioned by the church. The state took over for whatever reason, you know, there's all kinds of uh, Things I'm sure that happen behind the scenes, who knows how and when it all happened, but the state takes control. And he says the church has a right to complain because it's not right. Could be that the church overly tax the associations or put so many laws and ordinances in place that the association had to concede power. Who knows? But he says we should complain about that and raise our voices in protest. The fifth point he makes is that many workers associations. Now, before I go on, when you hear the word workers associations, which is the terminology he's using, think in terms of unions, labor unions. Okay. But he's talking about labor unions that are run according to Catholic principles. So he says in his fifth point that many workers associations now and unions have become anti-religion. And I know that because the unions, I mentioned this last time, but my parents were part of a union and their union became quite hostile to religion, <clears throat> voting and promoting and, and pressuring workers to vote for certain political parties that went completely against Christian principles. But many associations now have become anti-religion so to protect their faith, workers have a right to form new workers associations or new labor unions, according to Christian principles. And I challenge Christians to form workers unions based on the demands of the gospel. Go for it. You know, if you don't like the way unions are running things, well, form a Catholic workers union. Nothing wrong with that. You know, there's Christian health insurances out there now, companies popping up. Well, why not workers unions based on the principles 
of this encyclical. The next point, number six, is that many new associations are in goodwill being formed according to the demands of the gospel of Jesus Christ. One does not, now, he doesn't name one of them, but he is really alluding, I think, to the Knights of Columbus. The Knights of Columbus was founded nine years before this encyclical uh, was uh, released. And you can really tell he's alluding pretty hard to the Knights of Columbus, but he says these associations have a right to form and exist. And so if you have a desire in your heart, say the workers unions we have are not working as hard as they should or working against the Christian faith, well, feel free to form ones based upon the gospel rooted in Jesus Christ. Number seven, he states that new associations should choose good and wise leaders. I want to talk about this one for a minute. If you're going to form a new association, don't just willy-nilly it, okay? You should choose good and wise leaders. So take your time forming a labor union. Take the time to make sure all the right people are in place. So you don't just need people, uh, you know, who are just uh, really into the scriptures and really into the sacraments. Okay. So to speak, that's necessary. But it's also necessary to have people that know how to administrate, that knows how to handle money, that n- understands the laws that are in place, that understands how to organize something, that understands how to found something and how to run an organization, You know, knows how to negotiate, knows how to converse and do business. All that's necessary. So he says new associations need to make sure they're getting good and wise leaders as well. So be picky. And do not choose leaders according to just mere convenience or political correctness or whatever. Make sure you're choosing people that really can make this thing run right, but make sure you're also choosing people who are rooted uh, in the scriptures and in the sacraments. The eighth point he makes and brings up is that the church should not dictate how these organizations form. Now, keep in mind, this is a very interesting statement he makes. This is the Pope talking, and the Pope himself is saying the church should not dictate to these organizations how they run or how they form, rather. Rather, he states that the way a a worker union is formed should be done according to the culture and the circumstance. That's one of the things I appreciate about the Catholic faith is it's willing to, to journey. It's willing to try to understand what is going on in this culture. Now, a lot of American Catholics will complain about what the Pope is doing or that's taken the Pope forever to do something or they don't like a decision. But you got to understand that when the church makes a final decision on something, they're having to do so keeping all the cultures of the world in mind when they do it. Okay. So it's not, the Vatican does not exist for the United States. Okay. So my fellow American Catholics, it's not all about us. Okay. So Pope Leo 13th makes the point here 
that when you form a Catholic labor union, you have to consider the culture and circumstance, and therefore the church should not be dictating that to them. Certainly the, they want the church's blessing on it, but not the church's dictating. Now, the, the Pope begins to move into the summary of this encyclical, and I love it. And I'm just going to read it. Paragraph 57. This is a phenomenal, inspiring one of those sort of grand finales. You know, the real grand finale comes in paragraph 62 through 64. But, you know, they kind of do a semi-grand finale in, in firework, big fireworks displays. And it kind of fools you. You're like, oh, it's over. Oh, no, it's still going. And then the real grand finale is like, whoa, that's intense. You know, so paragraph 57, I want to read this because this is his summary of forming workers associations. And it is so good. I don't want to just paraphrase it. So here we are, paragraph 57 of Rerum Navarum. And he states, and I am scrolling to get to it here. He says, to sum up. Then we may lay it down as a general and lasting law that working men's associations should be so organized and governed as to furnish the best and most suitable means for attaining what is aimed at. That is to say, for helping each individual member to better his condition to the utmost in body, soul, and property. It is clear that they may pay special and chief attention to the duties of religion and morality and that social betterment should have this chiefly in view. Otherwise, they would lose wholly their special character and end by becoming little better than those societies which take no account whatever of religion. What advantage can it be to a working man to obtain by means of a society material well-being if he endangers his soul for lack of spiritual food. And then he quotes scripture by saying, what doth it profit a man if he gain the whole world and suffer the loss of his soul? And he goes on to say this, our Lord teaches is the mark or character that distinguishes the Christian from the heathen. And he goes on to quote Jesus again by saying, after all these things, do the heathen seek, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his justice and all these things will be added to you. And put, the Pope goes on to say, let our associations then look first and before all things to God. Let religious instruction have therein the foremost place, each one being carefully taught what is his duty to God, what he has to believe, what to pay hope for, and how he is to work out his salvation. And let all be warned and strengthened with special care against wrong principles and false teaching. Let the working man be urged and led to the worship of God, to the earnest practice of religion, and among other things, to the keeping holy of Sundays and holy days. Let him learn to reverence and love holy church, the common mother of us all, and hence to obey the precepts of the church and to frequent the sacraments, since they are the means ordained by God for obtaining forgiveness of sins and for leading a holy life. Wow. So if you want to form a Catholic labor union, there it is. Paragraph 57 of Rerum Navarum. The 10th point that the Pope makes in this, the ending of this encyclical is if you want to form a new association, 
he spells out in paragraph 58 the things to consider in forming an association. He spells it all out there. So let that be sort of your constitution, so to speak. And I won't read it, uh, but I encourage you to get online or get a copy of this and really pay attention to paragraph 58 if you're going to form a workers association. Now, in the 11th point in the today's uh, section of the encyclical is in paragraph 61. The Pope shows us that workers are worn down at the present moment that he's writing this encyclical, and I would say even more so today, or at least the same. Workers are worn down and feel themselves to be in bondage, not just by their employers, but also by their unions. And how sad. The Pope would have to make this lament that it's not just the employers wearing down their workers, but the unions are wearing them down too. He states that far from charity and justice, unions have degraded into more trouble for workers through corruption and greed. So what is his answer? Remember at the beginning today, what and in the end of the last episode, what is Pope Leo XIII's answer to corrupt and greedy unions? forming Catholic workers unions, Catholic workers associations, as he calls them. So let's get to the grand finale. I'm going to read it because I cannot improve upon it, nor do I wish to. Paragraph 62 through 64 is the grand finale of this encyclical. When I read it, the few times I've read it, I'm inspired. He says, we have now laid before you, venerable brethren, both who are the persons and what are the means whereby this most arduous question must be solved. Everyone should put his hand to the work which falls to his share, and that at once and straightway, lest the evil which is already so great become through delay absolutely beyond remedy. Those who rule the commonwealth should avail themselves of the laws and institutions of the country, Masters and wealthy owners must be mindful of their duty. The working class whose interests are at stake should make every lawful and proper effort. And since religion alone, as we read at the beginning, can avail to destroy the evil at its root, all men should rest persuaded. That main thing needful is to reestablish Christian morals, apart from which all the plans and devices of the wisest will prove of little avail. Chapter or paragraph 63 in regard to the church, her cooperation will never be found lacking, be the time or occasion what it may. And she will intervene with all the greater effect in proportion as her liberty of action is the more unfettered. Let this be carefully taken to heart by those whose office is to safeguard the public welfare. Every minister of holy religion must bring to the struggle the full energy of his mind and all his power of endurance. Moved by your authority, venerable brethren, and quickened by your example, they should never cease to urge upon men of every class upon the high placed as well as the lowly, the gospel doctrines of Christian life. By every means in your power, they must strive to secure the good of the people and above all must earnestly cherish in themselves and try to rouse in others charity, the mistress and queen of all virtues. 
For the happy results we all long for must be chiefly brought up about by the plenteous outpouring of charity. Of that true Christian charity, which is the fulfilling of the whole gospel law, which is always ready to sacrifice itself for others. And as man's surest antidote against the worldly pride and immoderate love of self, that charity whose office is described and whose godlike features are outlined by the apostle St. Paul in these words, charity is patient, is kind, seeketh not her own, suffereth all things, endureth all things. And then he gives the date and ending of this encyclical in the last paragraph. Wow. What a conclusion. And may we be inspired. May we be encouraged, have a fire to work for the good of all, no matter what class economic class they find themselves in. So there you have it. Rerum Navarum by Pope Leo the 13th released in 1891. And now that we know these things, we must now practice them. You know, there are Monday morning quarterbacks after a football game on Sunday. And these are some of the greatest football players to have never played the game. Well, don't be a Monday morning worker of justice, but get off the couch and get in the game. Get up, get your hands dirty and get busy working for the rights of the working class. St. James reminds us in his epistle in the New Testament that it gains you nothing to just know the truth. You have to live it. And may we live out these principles. May we stand for the rights of workers as we create a just society right where we are. You've been listening to Common Sense on Social Justice with your host, Michael Davis. A common sense and fresh perspective to creating justice where you are. Share your comments and questions with Michael by emailing sjcommonsense at gmail.com. That's sjcommonsense at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through materdayradio.com or the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.